invite you to take your scriptures back to Matthew chapter 5 that we read a little earlier. It's page 809 if you're using a pew Bible. Martin Luther King gave his iconic I have a dream speech on August 28th, 1963. That was, believe it or not, 55 years ago. During the watch, the, the uh, walk on Washington at the Lincoln Memorial. I've listened to that speech many times in its entirety. And as I read it and hear it, it was, in my estimation, a speech about his revolutionary vision for economic and racial freedom in America. It was really an invitation to all of us as Americans to live in our country in a different way. And as he said, and I quote, to make real the promises of democracy. It was his explanation of what living the American dream would really look like if it was equally offered to everyone in this country, no matter what the color of their skin. And so his famous words resonate still in our hearts and minds today. I have a dream. That one day this nation will rise up, and I like this part, and live out the true meaning of its creed. In a very similar way, Jesus, almost 2,000 years ago, in a sermon popularly called the Sermon on the Mount, which I want to dub today, I have a kingdom speech. Jesus gave a revolutionary speech that he delivered on a mountainside, to the Israelites and invited them, as he's inviting all of us today as we go through this series, to live differently in the world because we are citizens of his kingdom, because we are followers and disciples of Jesus. The, script, the, the scripture and the text in front of us make it very clear that Jesus gave this I have a kingdom speech on the side of a mountain. Now, I ask myself, I don't know if you ever think these things, but I ask myself, why is that matter necessary? Does it really matter where he was when he gave it? In this case, it does, because all throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, mountains were very, very important when God uh, spoke to his people. It was, number one, a place of revelation. Moses gave the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. Abraham talked to God on Mount Moriah. The temple was located on Mount Zion. Elijah talked to God on Mount Carmel. And things didn't change when it came to Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and spoke to his disciples about future events. The Transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount Calvary where Jesus died. The Mount of Ascension where he went back to heaven. Mountains are a very crucial place in both Old and New Testament when it comes to revelation. But not just revelation. Mountains were a place of revolution. If you were starting a new kingdom or a new administration in Israel or any other country in that day, you would be a hunted man. And so you would go and hide out in the mountains so people couldn't find you, and you would call followers to yourself, and you would speak to them about your new revolution. So Jesus, giving his speech, I have a kingdom speech on the side of a mountain, in reality is subversive. He's telling us that the old kingdom isn't really God's kingdom. That there's a new kingdom here, and he calls it the kingdom of heaven. In fact, six times in his, can I say, speech, that little phrase, kingdom of heaven, is used. And it's important for us, and I want to build the framework of my entire thoughts today to you on that very premise. Because if you look at the Beatitudes that I read for you, 
verses 3 through 12, notice that the main text, eight of the Beatitudes, are framed with the very first and last one in that section with that little phrase. 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look down, if you would, in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, it's like a little phrase that frames. This is what it looks like, Jesus says. If you are my disciple, living my way, kingdom ways, in this world. Now, Jesus goes on to just say, there's more than the core principles of my kingdom in the Beatitudes. He's going to say, hey, I want to tell you how your life will be completely changed in almost every way possible that you can think of if you live in my kingdom. So in 521 through 721, actually 520 through 721, he's going to bracket it again with this little book ending, same little phrase, verse 20 of chapter 5. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds or goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, see, you will never, double negative, you will never, never, there's no possibility of it, enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, here's our phrase, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he has to say the double negative again at the end of this little paragraph. He says, I'll tell some people, depart from me. You know why? I never, never, verse 23, knew you. So here's the big section of Jesus' I have a kingdom speech. And in between those brackets of 520 and 721, he's going to tell you, if you live in my kingdom, it will change everything. Because there will be some people who are in, and there will be some people who are out. This is not, please hear me, this is not a sermon about how to get in the kingdom. It is a sermon to show you that if you are in, how you will live in the kingdom. So Jesus, if I can borrow from Martin Luther King, would say this to us today, I have a kingdom in which one day all those who truly live in it will rise up and live out the true meaning of this creed. Jesus says, if you live out the true meaning of what it means to be in my kingdom, let me show you what it will look like. So here we go. Beware today. There's a warning in this passage. There are only Two kingdoms. There is a citizenship that you can have in the kingdom of heaven. And if not that, then you have a citizenship only in the kingdom of earth. And those two kingdoms are polar opposites of one another. Salvation, within that framework, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.1 is this. That he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So here's salvation. If you know Jesus, if you really follow him today, and that's the kingdom that you are in, you are no longer in the other one. You have been transferred. You used to be, but now you're here. And so here's the, here's the punch. You can't be in both at the same time. You are a citizen. You may live in this kingdom, but to be a citizen of this kingdom voids the other citizenship, he says. So we have two kingdoms, and what he wants us to know is that the patterns of those two kingdoms, the way that you live out the values and the morals and the ethics of those kingdoms are absolutely antithetical to one another. So we have to know what the patterns are if we are planning as a disciple of Jesus to live in the new life, the newness of life that he offers. 
So here's all I'm going to do today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the old kingdom, and I'm going to call the old kingdom the outside-in kingdom. And then I'm going to tell you more about the, the new kingdom Jesus offers, and I'm going to call it the inside-out kingdom. And the reason is because every kingdom, whether it's the old one or the new one, whether it's outside-in or inside-out, has acceptable and unacceptable ways to live in it. We would call them expectations of being a citizen, just like they do in America. There are things you do and things you don't do. And in the old kingdom, that was the view of the Pharisees and the scribes, it was primarily about external things. It was a focus on the rules of righteousness. It was the focus on behavioral things that everybody could see. May I illustrate that by having you hold your finger and Matthew and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Jesus told a parable about people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And the word righteous means to be right or in God's sight, approved by him, acceptable to God, and treat others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. They couldn't be more different. But I want you to notice three things about the old kingdom that the Pharisee tells us about. This is the outside-in approach to living in the kingdom The outside-in approach has three marks to it. Externalism, moralism, and separatism. Let me show you what I mean. Two men went up to to pray, and one was a Pharisee, the other tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now, in what way is he not like other men? Notice, he is different externally. By what he does and does not do. He is not an extortioner. He does not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He does immoral things. Like the tax collector who's standing farther away. See, he is not, he's not, he's different because externally there are things he doesn't do. And what he does do, he says this, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. So when he looks around... For him, sin is something out there. See, and that makes him compare, in in his view of sinfulness, I compare myself to other people. So I look at me and I say, well, I look in the mirror. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. Look at him. He does all those things. See, I look at myself. I don't look at myself. I look at him and say, you know what I do? I pray and I fast twice a week. You know, in the Torah, fasting was only, only, An obligation at one feast, one times a year, on one day. This guy takes God's standard and bumps it up. He doesn't just do it one time a year at one day on one feast. He does it twice every week. And now he has his standard becoming the standard for everybody else. Because that's what externalism does. Externalism only looks at what you do. And that's why it bumps into moralism. You know what the guy doesn't say? Notice what the text doesn't say. He doesn't say this. Oh yeah, God, I'm not like other men. You know why? Because I'm more and more patient all the time. He never says that. He doesn't say, God, I'm not like other men because I'm, I'm more kind and I'm more gentle in my response. I didn't fly out the handle today. I didn't go from zero to 60 with my anger. God, I'm really making some progress here. He didn't say this. I'm learning to love people, people I never would have loved before, more than I ever have. 
He didn't say, God, I'm becoming less and less materialistic, and in my heart, the real treasure that I have is in heaven. And he didn't say any of those things. You know why? Because the outside-in approach only looks at the things that you do and don't do. See, the outside kingdom sin is out there, when the reality of it, it should be in here. And you know what that leads to? Separatism. The Bible says that he stood by himself. He wasn't standing with the tax collector. Here's the altar in the temple. He's standing close to it so everybody can see how righteous he is. The tax collector, in contrast, stands far out there as he can be away from it. And you know why? Because here's what externalism and moralism breed. It breeds that if I can be righteous before God, if I just avoid all the people who are like that guy, if I could just stay away from all the tax collector type of people and avoid them, see, then God is going to accept me because he thinks that righteousness is from the outside in. But then you look at the story. And you see the tax collector who has the inside-out approach to righteousness. See, for him, the sin isn't out there somewhere that most people have that I really don't and I need to avoid them. Here's what he says. He doesn't have a view of sin that's out there. It's in here. And thus, it's not external that he looks or comparatively that he looks. Where does he look at sin? Internally. You know what he says? Oh, God. And the Bible says he beats his chest. It's the same word used at the cross in this gospel where they beat their chest and went home and said a righteous man had been killed that day. He's beating his chest and he says, Oh God, be merciful to me. And the original has the article, the sinner. The sinner. He's not comparing himself to other tax collectors, anybody else. You know why? Because what he knows when the inside-out approach is, you know what my biggest problem is? It's in me. It's in me, he says. And then because he knows that, listen to this, he needs mercy. And it's not the typical word for mercy in the New Testament. Same Luke chapter 18, verse 38, the blind man beside the road, Jesus comes by and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's the normal word. That's not this word. This word is halastrion in the Greek. And you know what it means? It means atone for my sin. It's the word used for propitiation. It's the word that describes the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim with their angel wings over it. And in between, once a year on Yom Kippur, the high priest would go in the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of the animal so that they could go another year and be forgiven. That's the word he uses. You know what he says? God, when I look inside... At me, that's who I am. I am a guy who is not better than anybody else. And I need your mercy. And here's what Jesus says. You know who goes down to their house justified? Not the guy who's good, not the guy who's right externally, but the guy who has the inside-out approach. Here's why. Please hear me. Because if you break all the rules or you keep all the rules, you have need of mercy. It doesn't matter which one that you are. And that's why, please, understand 520 says this, unless your righteousness exceeds and goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless you have a righteousness that is more than just external, let me say it that way, if your righteousness only goes skin deep, you are in serious trouble. 
If you are just a good person and you don't do externally some of the things that other people do and you are in that way better, can I tell you this? That does not make you acceptable to God. And that's why the context of the Sermon of the Mount that begins in chapter 5 is chapter 4. And Jesus says in Matthew 4, 17, ready? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The only way that you could ever live in this kingdom and live in this way is if you totally change your mind about what makes you acceptable to God. It has to be a complete reversal, an inside-out makeover. And I would say it to you this way, a heart transplant. Three times in the Sermon on the Mount, three times Jesus uses the word heart. One of them is in our text in the Beatitudes. In chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here's what he means. If you have never been changed from the inside out, if you're not pure on the inside, no matter what you are on the outside, you will never see God. You will never enter the kingdom. Those are the exact words Jesus told to Nicodemus. If you, you need to see God and enter the kingdom, you're going to have to repent, even if you are as righteous externally as Pharisaical Nicodemus was. Jesus gets a little more specific in his second use of the word heart. Chapter 5 and verse 28, he says, You have heard it said that if you commit, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you, if you think, Jesus would say, that you're only guilty of that command if you've committed the act of adultery, you would be wrong. He says, because if you have looked at a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery, what? In your heart. So Jesus says, moralism on the outside, because you have not done or acted out on those things, but you still have the desire in your heart because the things you look at on TV and the movies and the internet and the pornography, see, you can be guilty of that very sin, Jesus said, unless the righteousness you have has been changed from the inside out. And then he says one that I think would touch all of us. In 621, he says, lay not for yourselves treasures in heaven, or moth, on earth where moth and rust corrupts and breathe, thieves break through and steal. But rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, he says. Why? Ready? Because where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. Jesus says in all the ways on the outside. See, you can look like your treasure is in heaven. You can put an offering in the offering plate as it went by today. You can look like a, what the most important things are, are things that you have in heaven. But the reality is, what you do with your money is the real indicator. Jesus says, see, my kingdom, which is different from the old kingdom, because the old kingdom is an outside-in approach. I just look good on the outside and all the external things, and when I appear to people to be but on the inside is completely different. And that is the crux of the whole sermon. Remember those two brackets, the big ones, 520 to 721? Listen to what he says. Murder is not just an act. It is hatred in your heart. Adultery is not just an act. It is a wrong desire in your heart. Saying oaths are not just words you say, but they are words that come from your heart. Loving your neighbor is not just a person like you. It is having a heart that loves people even if they are, listen, your enemies. 
Jesus go on to say, listen, fasting is not something you do with ashen face so people can say, oh, look at you, how pious you are. You fasted today. And he goes on to say thing about prayer. Don't pray out loud on the streets and don't use big words so people can think you're all that. He says, but rather pray in private, fast in private. You know why? Because all you really care about if you're in my kingdom is if God knows what's going on in your heart. And then he scares us. At the end, because he says, there will be some on Judgment Day in 721 who say, with their words externally, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name done wonderful works, cast out demons in your name? And here's what he will say. If that's all the righteousness you have, and you said, that's all, listen, I'm talking casting out demons. I'm talking about wonderful works, supernatural things. He said, listen, you, he uses hyperbole. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what you do on the outside, even the most grandiose things. He says, but they, I will say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, practicing lawlessness, You know why? Because I never knew you. You know why? Because there's nothing between me and you on the inside. I never knew you. This is all outside. It's just a sham. It's a facade. It's only skin deep. It's superficial. So here's what Jesus says about the old kingdom. It doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't work. Not if you want to be acceptable to God. It's not a performance. And you can't earn his favor and his acceptance, his righteousness, by being all this on the outside. And you can have all the rules you want, and you can try to enforce them on others, and have all these, listen, and if there's no heart on the inside, he says, then you can't enter my kingdom. So with that background in mind, you turn back to our text in chapter 5. And we look at the Beatitudes, our first text. There are nine of them because the word blessed, makarios, happy is the word, is nine times in a row. There are two sets of four, and the last one is a climax that kind of summarizes the response to all of these things. And what Jesus is going to tell us is this is a portrait of new kingdom citizenship, what it really looks like to live in my kingdom from the inside out. And so this little bracket, three to ten... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven is really what Jesus is saying not to be blessed because you already are blessed. If you are really blessed by God, you will truly and deeply and permanently be satisfied on the inside. So when he says blessed, it doesn't mean just happy like we normally think of because happy in our language comes from a word, the Latin word for happening. Because happiness to most people in America and perhaps some of us today is all based on circumstances. You are happy when what you want to happen happens to you, and what you don't want to happen to you doesn't happen to you. I.e., I want to get married, so you do, instead of staying single, which you don't want to happen. I get to live in a house and buy a house I don't want to stay in an apartment the rest of my life. I get a really good job that pays well with benefits instead of living or or working at this dead-end job that offers neither. See, the old kingdom has its happiness rooted in circumstances, things, situations. 
In contrast, the new kingdom, the revolutionary kingdom of Jesus, the one that is truly blessed, is not rooted in circumstances and situations. It's rooted in far more. It's rooted in Jesus. Do you know what I thought in this text? Jesus had none of the things that most people say will make them happy. He was single his whole life and never got married. He never had one date. He never owned his own house. In fact, he would have been happy to have an apartment. He was misunderstood. He was misaligned, misjudged and misunderstood and maligned by people. He was abandoned by his friends, rejected by the majority of people that he came to save. But yet Jesus was the happiest man alive. How? Because he had a different source of happiness. He had a deeply rooted source of happiness that had nothing to do with externals. And so he wants to invite you and the people of his day into that existence. And so he says, watch them all, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's an inside issue. People that mourn, who are on the inside, are broken up and they're tearful and they're crying Blessed are the meek, where people don't externally power over, but instead they surrender and power under people, even though they could. People who hunger and thirst, not for food, but for righteousness. People who have inside them this this overwhelming desire and passion to put God at the center of everything in their life. People who are merciful that inside they have this heart of love and compassion that doesn't matter whether it's on the Sabbath and it doesn't matter if it follows the clean protocol of the Pharisees. Blessed are the pure in heart who people are not just not doing things because if they got found out or caught or someone at church heard they ever said or did that, boy, people would think, no, not that kind of righteousness, but a heart righteousness that whether I'm in public or private, whether someone's looking or no one's looking, I'm the same person. Blessed are the peacemakers, not looking to have conflict in their own agenda and always going about being upset by things that they want for themselves. Not that kind of person, a peacemaker person, a person who's willing to lay down their rights and surrender their lives and not be everything about them. That kind of person, he says. Because there's a kingdom, a Jesus kingdom. There is a blessedness that doesn't have to do with circumstances but rather it has to do with knowing him and being like him. So how can Jesus say all these radical countercultural things, blessed are you if you do this, because Pastor Walker, it's the same today, isn't it? Yes, it is today. Just like then, nobody wants to be a peacemaker. No one wants to be poor in spirit. No one wants to put down their rights. No one wants to be pure in heart. Those are not popular things. They are antithetical to almost everything our culture is about. So how does Jesus have the gall and the nerve to say, if you do all these crazy radical reversal type things, that you will be comforted and you will inherit the earth and you will be filled and you will obtain mercy and you will see God and be called sons of God and have a great reward. How in the world does he say what looks like backwards and have nothing of those things as a result? How does he say all that? And even if I did it, Pastor Walker, how in the world, if I believed it, how would I do it? Can I close with this? The only way you can live a life of reversal 
It's because you are living by his life of reversal. You know what I mean by that? He took your place. He put you where he deserved to be before the throne of God, accepted. And he put himself where you deserve to be, cast out. Cast out because of sin. That's how. Because the reversal Jesus was willing to undergo on the cross of Calvary to bear your sin and mine is the way and the power and the ability to live the kingdom life that is in reverse to almost everything that we understand today. And if you are here today and you have had Pastor Walker, my approach is, and by the way, I'm a good person and I probably wouldn't argue with that, but my approach has been outside in. By the things I do If I do all these things, then somehow on the inside it will be acceptable. And can I tell you, that approach doesn't work. Not with God. Because we don't do on the outside and therefore expect to be accepted on the inside. First, we must be accepted on the inside by God because of his mercy and grace. And then we become the person on the outside that he wants us to be. That's the kingdom. The question is, which kingdom are you living in? That's the question Jesus is going to ask the whole sermon long. Outside in or inside out? Which is true for you? Let's pray. In just a moment, we're going to sing our song of response today. Before the throne of God, I chose it because... It's such an accurate picture of what Jesus has done through his life of reversal so that we could live that life of reversal he's called us to in his kingdom. After that, we're going to say goodbye to the Clowards today. It's their last Sunday. But before we do that, how will you respond today? I mean, it's black and white down to this point. You're in one kingdom or another. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. It's either God or money. It's not God and money. It's God or money. And it's not, I serve this kingdom a little and this kingdom a little bit. It's either one, one or the other. And it's possible for all these years you sat in this pew that you thought God was okay with you on the inside because of what you are on the outside. And can I say it kindly? You might be eternally wrong. But perhaps you're here today and you recognize, Pastor Walker, listen, I'm not the tax collector, I'm the Pharisee. And Jesus says, both need mercy. And that's me. That's me. I've come to the realization today, I am good, and it's the problem. Because I've seen sin out there, but I don't see it till today as in here. And I need atonement for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be someone here today, main floor balcony, who say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me. The outside-in approach that's been my approach, and I know today it doesn't work. It won't make me righteous and acceptable to God. I need the inside-out approach. I need his mercy and forgiveness in my life. Thank you in the balcony for your hand. Thank you on my right. Anyone else? Main floor. I, I need to repent. See, repent. The kingdom of heaven is it. Repent of the outside-in approach and accept the inside-out approach. 
Seek my kingdom and my righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. My righteousness. And Jesus' is the inside out. Pastor Walker, I need mercy. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. And ma'am on my back, right there. Anyone else? Perhaps you're as a Christian here, and you know Jesus, but you have drifted from that approach. And you think that you coming to church and doing all these things, those are good things, but good things don't please God if they're only outside things. Do you have the heart for him and for others? Pastor Walker, I, I want that. I want God to, even as a Christian, to change me more on the inside that I can be like him. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand and I'll pray for you all over? Many hands on my left and my center, my right, balcony. Anyone else? Father, the trouble with most of us today is that we think we're the Pharisee and the reality is we're the tax collectors. The level of hypocrisy that we have reached and become blind and numb to, if we could only see it from your perspective, perhaps would be staggering. Father, what we need is a radical reversal. We need your righteousness. We need your mercy. For those who raise their hand first today, indicating that they don't know you, they've never known your forgiveness, they've, they've never known that they were really acceptable to God because they've been trying to do it on their own externally. Father, I pray that you bring repentance, godly sorrow that's not to be repented of. Into their lives, they might be broken because whether they've kept the rules or they've broken the rules, they need it. Father, draw them to yourself today with your cords of sovereign love. For those who raise their hand as Christians who claim to follow you, fat master, but need more work on the inside, which would be every one of us in this place, Continue to help transform us. Give us hearts of righteousness. Hearts of righteousness that we might be truly a whole person with the inside and outside match. Work in our hearts and lives that way. We pray for your honor and glory and the good of others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.